Blog Talk Radio. Loud Sound Productions. In association with the Sexy Witches Presents. Repomerds. The podcast where there's no such thing as indecent exposure. Restoring nerd cred, one geek at a time. Here's your host, writer, Token Tom Clark, and the head hauntress, archivist, Elizabeth Catherine Gray. Hi, Lizzie. Hello. How are you doing? Hi, how are you doing? I know it's a bit rough. Shitty June. <laughs> June, you know they talk about June is busting out all over, but I don't think they really meant it to be this. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's pretty crappy. Oh. Um, yeah. Personalized and uh, creative, creatively wise, it's been a crappy fucking month so far. <laughs> but but not not for good things going on with me, but for people that you know. Um, uh. Yeah, I have, my brother-in-law passed away on Friday, uh, unexpected, um, 49 yeah. years. And, and again, my condolences. Thank you, thank you. Um, and today we come to find out that our, uh, as this show is on the air, transpiring, um, one of my uh, idols and mentors in the horror industry, uh, horror fiction industry, uh, is uh, getting treated for some serious uh, burns, uh, one uh, Brian Keane. Um, Grandmaster of Horror, Bram Stoker Award-winning author. Um, my heart goes out to him right now. Thoughts and prayers. I know everybody hates saying that, but goddamn, right now all it is is thoughts and prayers. And the money that I've given to his GoFundMe for medical treatment because Brian doesn't have insurance. You know, if 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 I fell down the stairs today. Um, I'd be okay because my wife works for a health insurance company, okay? But Brian Keene doesn't have health insurance. Um, so right now he's facing upwards of $50,000 worth of hospital expenses. So if anybody out there uh, can uh, give him a hand, uh, please do so. Check it out on the GoFundMe page. Uh, just do a search for Brian Keene. It's trending. We've made about eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars $19,000 for him now as it stands. So, and, and this is uh, a guy just, who who raises money for other people. He raised twenty one thousand dollars for Scares That Cares just a few weeks ago. And Tom Lindsay and Tommy and I were both at this telethon. And uh, yep. you know, and he's also the events coordinator of it uh, for uh, Scares That Cares weekend. He does the organization on the podcasting track and the authors track, which both Tommy and myself participate in. Uh, so if uh, you know, if anybody deserves a kickback or pay it forward, it would be Ryan Kane after all, because he's always giving, even though he doesn't ask for much in return. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This guy, you know, he opens the door for so many of us that are young talent. And I hate to call myself young at 50 years of age, but I am young talent when it comes into the grand scheme of things. Um, And, we need more people like him in this industry. That's all I'm going to say. So whatever you guys can do to help him out, please do so. Please do so because, you know, he does so much to help everybody else. <sighs> speaking of scares that care, you, know, you and I are going to be pretty busy there this year, Liz. Yeah, speaking of Brian Keene, uh, you know, once again, he absolutely floored me when he told me 
Um, first of all, he accepted and approved the video nasty panel, which was woohoo! I was very excited to hear because this is the 30th anniversary, 5th anniversary, 35th anniversary of the British video nasty list. So, a list of 72 movies that were banned from uh, in 1983. They ranged from about 1968 till about 1983, and they become an invert, inadvertently a collection of horror films in Italian cinema that. Every horror geek should see at least once. Now, when I say once, some of these films really just watch them once. <laughs> you know, but, but there's some also classic, classics on the list. Um, and, you know, everyone's represented. We got Ario Argento, Wes Craven on the list. Toby Hooper has two movies on the list. Uh, it, it's an amazing thing. Um, so thank you, Brian King. But not only did he honest, honest, give me the panel that I really wanted to do, I've been developing this panel for a long time. Uh, he gave me the centerpiece of the podcasting track on Saturday afternoon. I got my show starts at 1.30, and he gave us enough time with enough buffer for the next panel, which is amazing. Um, I'm going to be able to do a small intro and then have the panel discussion, and then I'm going to follow it up with trivia, where I'm going to give away a bunch of video nasty DVDs at the end. Um, probably a group Ooh. trivia game, Tommy. And I know you know yeah. how to do that kind of thing, so we'll talk about that off there. So that was that was my idea, because I right now I'm okay. going to cram a, a bunch of video nasties up till then. The only thing that's going to get in the way of that would be my San Diego Comic-Con viewing. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be watching much video nasties when I'm in San Diego, but... In the meantime, I still got a few weeks in June and a few weeks in July to get ready. And I'm not going to tell you, Tommy, which ones of these are first watches and which ones are rewatches. Um, but they're all the reasons I'm watching them for research. There's, I have a reason I'm rewatching them or watching them. And the answer are, and get ready, this is a long list. The Slayer, Don't Go in the Woods Alone, Eaten Alive, that's the Toby Cooper movie, The House in Straw Hill starring Uder Care, which is the only British Remember how I, on your show we were trying to remember which one was the only British one? This is the only British film on the video nasty list. Isn't that funny? Uh, Last House on the Dead End Street. Abel Ferrer's The Driller Killer, way famous movie. Uh, Just Franco's Bloody Moon. Now, here, I want to talk about Just Franco. He's a Spanish director. I have seen a lot of Just Franco's uh, work. I have never seen Bloody Moon, and it is a slasher movie. It's the only slasher he ever did. So I, I, I'm really curious that one. Um, then I've got Islands of Death, which is all subversive. And I think there's a golden shower in that one. Um, Madhouse. <laughs> and then The Witch Who Came to Sea, which just recently got released, as is, as is did The Slayer. Uh, uh, you know, once again, I want to thank my boys at all my favorite. This was a combination of Arrow, Vinegar Syndrome, and Severn. Um, coming together and giving me this gorgeous, helping me get, curate this gorgeous list of movies I'm going to watch for the next few weeks. And I'm going to add some more in there, too. I think Night School just dropped on Shutter, um, so I'm going to watch that one again. The good news is, Tommy, I don't have to rewatch certain films. I've already seen Inferno. I've already seen uh, Zombie enough times I can quote you, Zombie. Uh, Evil Dead. We don't need to watch that one again. We've both seen it. Uh, you know, there, there's some films on the list we don't, but there's some of the weirder ones like Island of Death. Even if you haven't, you've only seen it once. I gotta watch it again because it's just so weird. Um, I don't need to rewatch. I spit on your grave. I think that's good. <laughs> oh, that feels so good, baby. So good, it hurts. 
But anyway, so that's sure. what's going on with my life. I'm going to like deep dive into uh, blood on boobs and depravity um, for the next. Yeah, you are. Uh, well, last year, um, the Necrocasticon did uh, cyber horror and cyber metal. Um, that was fun, too. Free. It was, and we're we're gonna break it down to back to basics this time. We're gonna do literary horror and literary metal. And by that, I mean we're gonna break it down. We're actually, I'm gonna, I'm going to conceive a heavy metal acoustic orchestra for that live Necrocasticon list, featuring not only myself but the talents of people like Lucas Milliron, just for example. Just don't ask me to play an instrument. I can sing, but I, I, I don't really play an instrument anymore. I used to play. We would give you a tambourine. tambourine no, fuck the tambourine. Time. I don't need a tambourine. Fuck the tambourine. <laughs> That's TV and, fucking uh, Nick. On uh, also, we're gonna be doing a live recording of "You've Got to Be Kidding Me," uh, the podcast that I do with uh, Skip Novak, and uh, we're gonna be talking about ghosts. And how they're not real. Um, and uh, we're actually going to have a ghost hunt. And you know what we're going to do, Liz? We're going to uh-huh. do something that no ghost hunt can do. Um, I don't we're know. What is that? We're going to guarantee you we're going to give you ghost. Oh, I, I'm sure you will. I mean, uh, make sure the keyboards are, are loud enough to hear. So, I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of ghosts, yes. the new Ghost album hit on Friday. See what Friday. I did there? I know. I, yes. listened, I listened to it over the weekend, and I re-listened to it again this afternoon before air to see how I feel about it. So. You have to listen to this album more than twice. Um, I listened to it on repeat for four hours the other day um, <laughs> while I was writing. It. I, I, no, I finished a novel and I, I wrote it to that. Um, I, uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's news. Huh? I finished a novella. Yes, it's called Bella's Boys. Anyway, um, it's it's all heavy metal and and creepy bizarro shit in it. Literally, it features intelligent toilet creeping crud. Oh well, I love yep. that. I'm yes, yeah, you, you do because that kind of fits in with our topic this week because Definitely. you made me watch Street Trash. And I have to watch Street Trash, and what do I do? I end up having to, you know, write a story about intelligent creeping crud. There you go. Well, See what you, you did know, to me, Liz? It, it, it just kind of that goes with, you know, the hazard of being a podcaster. What can I say? Anyway, you anyway, we're, we're sidetracked. What did you and think of the ghost album? What do you think of Prequel? Right. Okay, so um, first of all, my friends, I want to tell them that your their response. A lot of my metal friends are having a mixed response to the record. Uh, and uh, I am as well. I'm having a mixed response, and this is my mixed response. I think it sounds fantastic. There's no doubt the musicianship is good on this record. Um, the, the the tech specs, like it's a great sounding record. Not the music, the sound of the record is fantastic. You understand what I'm saying, Tommy? It's either yep. the most cheesiest record I have ever listened to in my entire life. Or it's the most brilliant record I have listened to in my entire life, and I can't figure out which one it is yet. I've tried. Okay, well, so let me explain to you what this album is, and maybe you will <laughs> understand it a little more. 
you'll be able to appreciate because this is a Ren Fair album, okay? This yeah, is Richie Blackmore's like Rainbow. Him. This is Richie Blackmore's <laughs> Rainbow done by Ghost. That's what this is. This is Blackmore's Night done by Ghost. This is Tobias Forge's homage to the Middle Ages, and the reason it is, it, it, it takes place during the the album thematically. All the songs in it tell the story. It takes place during the Black Death times, and where half the world died. And you've got this guy that's in love, and his love dies. And this entire album laments it. It's very reminiscent to me, theme-wise, to last year's Mastodon into the Sands album, um, which was a story about a gentle, uh, a warrior cast out from his tribe. Like a yeah. Aztec type I, but I laughed on that one like like a leap to a foot. I mean that that record right. is pretty sta- outstanding. Yeah, so. and it's 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 in your face because it's angry. It's the angry, it's the angry aspect of accepting death. That album is, whereas Prequel is almost at points of it is celebrating life through death. That's where you get the pop songs that are on the album. Um, because you know, you know, when you have your like your like your, let's call it a traditional uh, New Orleans funeral, where the saints come marching in. There's revelry in it, okay. So what this song is, this album is telling you to do is, though, even though there's death all around you and death is happening, you need to celebrate life, and that's what this album's about. And when you listen to, when I listen to it, I can hear because I'm 50 years old and I've heard all of these fucking songs before. I really have, but they've been done by other artists. And, oh, and, and, there, and it, there's I, a song that goes right, I think it's like Cut, it might be Faith even, uh, the, which is the best cut on the record, I think. Um, it sounds straight out of, like, if, if I was 15 and I was watching, let's say, The Lost Boys, this could have fit right in with that sound. Absolutely, soundtrack. I agree. And, and, um, and so, this, so the 15-year-old me thinks the record is amazing, the older me is like, is it derivative? Or I is want it you to re- it revisit Miasma. And I don't know. I don't. Oh, Miasma is, I just, I just, as a matter of fact, I re listened to it twice today, even though it's a long cut. Here's a reason um, why. That song is the total essence of everything John Carpenter did musically in the 80s. That song, if you ask me, was inspired by Tobias listening to Zombie opening up for them on their last tour. And he said, I want to do a wave synth song just like that. And he succeeded. He took everything that you would have heard from John Carpenter and put it into that song. Quite honestly, that main riff in this out on this in Miasma is the main riff from the uh, Prince of Darkness song theme. It really is. Listen to the Prince of Darkness from John Carpenter. Listen to Miasma. Same song. It's an homage. Well, they're really they're is. obviously going to be back in the states. They haven't announced. There's only announced one tour date so far, and that's in Los Angeles. But yeah, it looks well, like to, uh, December to November, here, they're going to have another tour. You know, somewhere around yes, there. Yes, they are. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because they're making because they're making a lot of money. No, they're having another album come out this year. They have two records. They're putting another full-length album out this year. Oh, my God. They're just busy, aren't they? Can I tell you that they dominated all the album charts? Yeah, no. And there's a I, reason I, that we got there's a reason <laughs> that we got Cardinal Copia and not Papa Emeritus. He hasn't proven himself to become a Papa yet. 
he has now proven himself to be so. The new album, he's going to be Papa again. Well, we'll have to see. You're on the All right. Well, and I actually, like, my husband is even curious about going to see him next time they come through. We're hoping they, we missed them. They came out. So, Days of the Dead Charlotte was kind of a double-edged sword, Tommy, because because I was there. They, I, I miss ghosts. They were actually here in D.C., it turns out. And uh, when I was in Charlotte, they were Primus was playing that Saturday night, so I couldn't go to the Primus show. And then on the way home, I found out that Ghost played in Asheville the following day. I would have taken an extra oh, day off and gone to see Ghost. So I missed Ghost twice and Primus once because of Days of the Dead Charlotte. And I felt kind of bad about that. So I, I got to make amends. But I am going to go see Tenacious D. They're coming back in um, November. So I'm going to go see them. And uh, also in October, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is doing another tour and they're coming back through. So I'm going to go to that as well. And then I have the Broadway shows with my daughter, Hamilton and Frozen. I'm all excited about that. So I've got a lot of stuff in the fall happening. Yeah, you do. I got AuthorCon coming up in the fall. Sometime this summer too. I've also got a uh, Salt City Comic Con. I'll be. Uh, I think I'll have a table at that as well. So. And of course point. we got um, uh, Scares That Care that we already talked about. Absolutely. Um, right now I'm on the Summer of Zombie tour. It's a blog tour for promoting my book that isn't out yet, and I can't tell you what publisher is taking it. But you can find the, you can find the summer of zombie how Tommy if they want to. Uh, just 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 find the hashtag summer zombie on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, and there you go. And you can find my blog posts there and learn about my 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 novella Good Boy. That's and, and, it, and it posted soon. already. It was like the second blog to post. One of them, yes, an interview with me, yes. But I actually wrote a couple of blog posts for this. And in, in both of them, I'm very critical of the zombie genre. And I explain why. I'm not going to tell you why. I want you to read the goddamn blog posts. So there you go. <laughs> Excellent. And, and, of course, yeah. I'm getting ready for San Diego Comic-Con. I bought my ticket, plane ticket today. It's official. I'm going. I have a room. I have a plane ticket. So yeah. I'm scared of hell. Um, I'm starting to work on my itinerary things. I haven't nailed anything down yet, but the things that are in the short list, I'm going to the fashion show with her universe and hot topic. It's free. That sounded awesome. It's really close to where my hotel is. It's an offsite event. Um, uh, Hodor is spinning a rave. Uh, I was thinking of going to that. Um, Paramore is playing oh, cool. with Foster the people, people of all bands, which is interesting. Of course, I've already been talking about going to see the Conan live show with my partners. So um, so there's a, a, we're already talking about things. And I put in for the Mondo poster lottery. So we're, we're gearing Ooh. up. My, my San Diego Comic-Con is getting ready to go. I even paid for a check bag so I could bring stuff home. <laughs> so nice. I might, not, I might walk on the plane wearing every piece of clothing I own because it's spirit air, but I'm going to buy something exclusive by God. I mean, I have to. I have to get <laughs> at least one exclusive 
got to do it. I mean, I don't care if it's NECA or it's Funko or if it's Hasbro. I don't care. I need one. I need a Mondo. A Mondo poster. Mondo posters are good investment. Damn it. Oh, my God. Texas they front are. They, 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 they were flipping those things, and they were immediately shooting up to $200 a pop at Texas Frightmares, you know, and they went for 15 at the tables, maybe, you know, a little higher for some of the rarer ones. It was ridiculous how quick they shot up. You know, you, you know how to make me the happiest man alive, right? Is to oh, get yeah, me a Mondo wanted- John Carpenter's The Thing poster or, or, or Planet of the Apes poster. So if you had, if they happen to have those for sale, that would be so awesome. Well, it's whatever the San Diego exclusive is going to be. They haven't announced it yet. They just announced the. But they also they don't just have the exclusive. They also sell regular prints there too. So. Oh, of course they do. I I mean, I'm there on Sunday. Um, The interior. I'm going mostly to outside events. I might there might be Saturday. There's another issue, but Sunday is my shopping day. So that's okay. the day when I go that's in. That's the best and, day anyway, because everything's on sale. That's well, I, I, well, it, it, well, well, I'm not so sure. San Diego Comic Con doesn't really let up until like Monday morning, uh, so it, it's like a huge nerd party, and there's so much happening. I mean, did I have to choose between Foster the People and Hodor spinning a rays? It's kind of cool, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it is. I hear you. I hear you. You know, so but I'm not, got, okay, let me tell you about my movie pass experience. Okay. Okay, there's, and there's, then we should talk about movie pass is kind of like the new Ghost album. Some people like it, some people don't. I love movie pass. I've never had a problem with movie pass um, until Infinity War hit, and um, Infinity War was selling out so fast that I wasn't able to use my card quick enough to get a seat. Ended up posing as a problem. Um, in the frustration that night, I lost my movie pass debit card somewhere in the mall. I don't know where. So I go a month almost, yeah, literally a whole month, the whole month of May, without being able to use my movie pass. And today I finally got it back, and it worked without a charm. Yes, thank you, movie pass guys. You did me good. You did me good. It took me a month, but you did me good. That's um, what they've treated me, so I'm glad that they're starting to get their customer well, service the thing. together. When I, I when you when you send them an email and then they tell you that they're going to do something the day that you send them it, and then a week later you don't hear nothing from them, and you send them another email, and then you say, and they give you the same answer, and you say to them in return, well. I'm not very confident in your answer right now (laughs) because it's already been told to me once. (laughs) So we're going to do things my way. And I got it done and I got it in the mail today. And I was able to see Lee Wannell's cyberpunk awesome movie upgrade. This is Ex Machina. If Ex Machina was a action movie was an action movie and if ex machina wasn't about an actual robot but about a technology okay uh, well i can't say that because ex machina is technically about an ai that has a body well, it's like the cyberpunk crow right yes that's what well, this movie well yeah. yes you could say it is 
it's it's a John Wick the Crow type movie, absolutely, where you have your lead character um, who is brilliantly played by um, what's his face there, uh, Logan Marshall Green. Um, and you don't expect him as a main character, but he's played enough heavies in movies. I think it was good to see him as a good guy uh, in this one, and not being the idiot that he was in Alien Covenant. You know, um, however, not him as an idiot, but the character that he played was an idiot. This starts out as a great cyberpunk sci-fi movie. And in the third act, it turns left and becomes a horror film. Oh, yeah. So it's definitely worth it. Um, I can see why it's not more of a mainstream movie. Because uh, being written and directed by a person, you kind of get your own um, control on the film. And, and Lee Wannell, um kept his control on this film and, and made it so that the uh, end of the movie stayed the way he wanted it to stay and stayed true to his vision. Uh, very good cyberpunk movie. Very, very good. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. it it's almost as good as Solo. And I don't care what anybody fucking says, Solo is the best goddamn Star Wars movie to come out since fucking Return of the Jedi. I, I haven't seen it, so I can't say anything. Um, you know why I like it? It's simple. They kept well, it simple, good. stupid, put it to basics. And that's what makes Solo work so well. Well, I'll see it at some point. I was actually trying to fit it in at the drive-in. It's right now playing with Infinity Wars, and I still haven't seen Infinity Wars, and I think that's a hell of a Quite honestly, when you get a crop of movies that are this good coming out in succession, because you had Infinity War, then you had Deadpool 2, which is also fantastic, and then you have Solo, your crowd, your, your how much money does people have to spend on movies? And and how many movies are you going to be running out to see? That's three consecutive weeks of, 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 of top-selling possibly movies. And even though it didn't sell as well as they thought it was, it was still the number one movie the past two fucking weeks. Well, and then it was also the top opening Memorial Day in, like, eight years or something like that. I mean, yeah, it, 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 you know. Still a million-dollar disaster in the hole for Disney. A dis, dis, you know, a disappointing eighty-four million. You know, <laughs> that's what my friend said. Make a like, billion no, dollars. Oh my hey, you know what? I'm so, sorry, but the first star was Force of Awakens. I want to lose like that. Yeah, piece of, Force Awakens paid off what they paid Lucas. Okay, the, the next two movies made them money, enough money that they can stand to lose money on a movie like Solo. Because, you know what, if they're going to lose money on movies like Solo, I hope they do constantly, because that movie's fucking good. It, it'll have legs. It, it'll do fine on video and streaming and all that. You'll see it. A lot of people missed it in the theaters, because I think it was just too many movies in one month, all from the same source. And for some reason right now, yep. people are more devoted to the Marvel movies than they are the Star Wars ones, clearly. Um I, I also think that there was a not knowing their audience was solo in the sense that a lot of us really didn't want a solo movie. Like we wouldn't mind a movie with Han Solo in it as a character, but honestly it should have been Donald Glover Lando as the lead. 
and it would have been Lando's movie with Han in it, that might have worked a lot better, I think. Uh, but, you know, uh, at least marketing-wise, because the marketing's way off. I know that. It, without even seeing the movie, I know that the marketing is way off of this film. Uh, Disney's in, marketing is hit or miss. Okay, Disney's marketing is hit or miss, and their marketing can kill a movie. Uh, mismarketing from them uh, is always horrible. They did it with John Carter. They did it with um, A Wrinkle in Time. They did it with Solo. John Carter's a great movie. I don't care what anybody says. I love that fucking film. It's a great adaptation of the Edgar Rice Burroughs, The Princess of Mars. It really is. Well, you know, I don't think there'll be legs. So, though, I mean, even when they're losing, they're losing big. They're still making money. They're not going to lose money. They're going to probably break even, but they're not going to lose money on Solo. Yeah, when Solo hits home video, it's going to be huge. It is what it is. Uh, uh, Disney can take a lick every once in a while. Not everything they do turns to gold, even though it seems to have been pretty good for them since they picked up Star Wars and Marvel properties. Oh my gosh. Hey. I mean, look, look what's happening. <laughs> You know, you know, I'm old gonna... enough to remember when Disney movies, live action movies, before the Disney animated craze hit. I'm old enough to remember when the Disney live action movies were out. And you had Herbie the Love Bug, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You had a whole series of them. You had the Witch Mountain movies. All of these. All of these. Um, I love the second Witch Mountain movie. By the movie numbers with, film. You know, with the, what's her name? Uh, Betty Crawford. She's in it. It's awesome. Uh, Here's one. We'll see if you remember this one. A lot of people don't remember, but it's one of my favorites. Hot Lead and Cold Feet. Yes. Yep. I remember that. I fucking love that movie. Now, there's two actors or slash actresses. There's an actor and an actress out there that we both love. Um, One of them was totally stigmatized by the um, curse of Disney films. Um, to the point where she tried to do drastic things to change her image, but it didn't work. And then there's another guy who just immediately changed his image with one fucking movie and went on to be one of the most popular, greatest actors of all time. Who are those two actors? One actress, one actor. Who do you think I'm talking about? With Disney, they ruined a lot of lives, so I'm actually not really sure which one you're referring to. Kurt Russell is the man. Oh, okay, Kurt Russell, yeah. Only in only in Disney movies up until he was in Escape from New York. Yeah, no, I, I know that actually. Kurt Russell was and a the huge, other one is heartthrob. <laughs> yes, and the one that is, was stuck typecast as a Disney actress was Julie Andrews. She couldn't break that that mold that that Disney family mold that. She got See, stuck you know, in the I, I've never really understood that because honestly, that she just shows her boobs in that movie. I've seen that movie. It's not really that well, bad. Well, really Victoria? Yeah. No, no, the the film that she did before that, she did a softcore porn. Oh, maybe was yeah, or uh, no, even before that, I yeah, can't think of Yep. But you know, she shows ten. her boobs. But there's there's got to be a populate a group of men out there that thinks that Mary Poppins is attractive because she is. Oh, she, she is hot. You know, so I I I don't see why it would take away from 
Anyway, I, I think the audience eye. transfers. You know, it's weirdly transfers. They can still follow her as a fan. I, I love it, Julie Andrews. She's one of my favorite actresses of all time. She was in two of the biggest movies on the planet when they came out. Sound of Music, as we both love. Love, love, love fucking Sound of Music. I mean, who doesn't love that movie? Um, so, except, for, except for my cousin Aaron's never seen it, and we got to, like, repo card that shit because he's a musical guy. He actually performs Aaron's on never stage. Aaron's never seen it? Aaron's never seen it. He says he's waiting Aaron for from, the right time. Aaron from Oakland. No, my Aaron Kogan from L.A. Yeah, Aaron from my cousin. L.A. Aaron from L.A. LA. Yeah, from L.A. Yes, he's from L- Southern California. Yeah. Never seen Sound of Music? No. Admitted to it on my show the other a while back. Oh, what the fuck, man? I know, right? Dude, this guy can get you up and if you're listening to this show and Gilbert you ain't seen Sound of, Sound of Music, fucking oh, unfuck man. that now. <laughs> Everyone thinks, you know, everyone thinks it's like this happy-go-lucky musical, but, you know, it's all fun and games till the Nazis show up, <laughs> you know, you know, but it's it's so good, it's so good, and Ray Wise, um, is one of the, he's a great director, but anyway, oh wait, well, I digress, that's another episode entirely, uh, Tommy, so we're going to have to, like, recruit him in on that, because that's a big enough shame that I think it's worth bringing him, making him come on the show for that. Um, Necrocasticon breaking news right now, Liz. Uh, Deicide Nice Earth guitarist uh, Ralph Santola has passed away um, after a heart attack that he suffered uh, last week. Um, he went into a coma and now he's dead. I'm sorry. And to hear so that. June, June keeps didn't, on fucking killing. Fuck you, June. Didn't some guitar player fall down an elevator shaft and die this week, too? Yeah, from uh, we don't want to say the name of the band on this show. No, what the hell? Anal cunt. This guitar player fell yeah, off an escalator. I was just saying, what the fuck, dude? I just cussed like a minute ago. <laughs> so, I just don't okay. like saying anal cunt. Right now when you say the word cunt, people look at you funny. I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. Unless they're you English, know, and then they're like wondering what everybody's got a problem with I know, the, I, I, I know the difference between being punched up at and being punched down with. I, I know the difference, so I don't give a fuck. You know, people need yeah. to get their priorities straight and make and and remember what manners is about and what comedians are supposed to do. I we've already talked about how I feel about comedians, the way people are treating them lately. Anyway, um, let's move on because we got so much to talk about. Yes. Yes, yes we do. Um, yeah. I, okay, I know there might okay. be people listening that are probably bored stiff going, "Why don't you get into the straight track talk?" Um, so, do we want to talk <laughs> our recommendations? Or are we uh, that go with No, we'll, do all, we'll, we'll follow up with our recommendations, and I'll, I'll, I'll start talking about. We'll, we'll follow up with the recommendations. That'll be their follow. Okay. Okay. So, so we're gonna right. talk about it, and then we're gonna do the, the interview, and then the recommendations. Is that what we're gonna do? Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Okay. So, did I upload the trailer? I think I did. Let's play tonight the trailer to tonight's film. Are you ready? Here we go. One of my favorite trailers. I don't need this. Are you tired of the same old routine? My wife, my Busting your hump and getting nowhere? This just ain't my day. The boss, is he always on your back? My ass belongs in your chair, not in your lap, which is where you keep trying to put it. You bad The wife and the kids. Is that right? They never listened. 
I hate to see him pissing his life away in them goddamn computers. You ever feel like forgetting the whole thing? You think I got it easy? Well, now you can. I'm talking about life! Drop out and join the ranks of the few. The filthy. Where else can you live for free and eat for even less? Well, be forewarned. Freedom has its price. Yes, there's always a snake in the Garden of Eden. What you got for me today? Today? Turn up my viper. One buck. Yes, do you, pussy? Actually, contain a toxic brew. Yeah, directed by Jim Murrow, written by Roy Frumkies, and starring absolutely nobody you know. It's one part Toxic Avenger and one part Rambo. Yes, it's one part Rambo. I don't know how that fucking worked its way into this. But holy shit, what the fuck did you make me watch today, Liz? Every guy in this movie is a misogynistic trash bag. Ever. (laughs) You have to admit, the title is not false advertising. Not at all. (laughs) No, it it is what it is. It is street trash. You are watching street trash. Street trash, 1987, so 31 years ago. And it's probably like that that golden year of 1987 where some of the most interesting best work films of all time came out. Street trash is right in there among them. And, you know, but of course, you know why I love street trash. And then we'll get into why you don't love street trash. We'll talk about the movie itself. But I'm a huge fan of Jennifer Aspinall, the makeup artist, and this is one of her works, and she also did Toxic Avenger for Lloyd Kaufman, uh, and goes on to do Mad Television, and we're going to have an interview with her. I did at the very beginning of my second season of Sexy, which is we're going to play it later. Uh, so I worship this woman. And she did, and she's right there with Rick Baker and 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 Stan Winston in the '80s doing this stuff. And I just think that she needs more notice. And this movie is for centerpiece. So, all right. Well, now, it's, narrative it's obvious. It's story. obvious because it, it's pretty clear that they gave her all the money in this movie. Oh no, um, it is true. <laughs> this suffers from the same thing I hate about most low-budget horror movies from the '80s. And it's painfully neon pink clear. Why? I didn't even hear of this movie until last year. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but 
But you, you, you could see what they wanted to do, but where they were limited by their budget. And I think of the director, uh, when the director realized they weren't going to be able to do it right, he said, fuck it. And just went campy with the goddamn thing. Um, and it, 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 with that being said, you know, this is a splatterpunk gore fest that's only missing the right soundtrack. I'm going to be honest with you. All right. If Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction was the soundtrack for this album, this movie, it would have been 100% better. And, and, when, and the reason I chose that is because half the songs on this album fit the movie. They really do. And those gags, oh, my God, each one's unique in its own way. They're all but brilliant. But you said you didn't like the movie. You told me you didn't like it. Yeah, I'm, you told me to be constructive, Liz. Yes, I did, but I also want the truth. I already said what I didn't like about it. <laughs> no, I'm telling you what I did like about it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> you, know, you know what I want to do with this movie, Liz? I want to take the street it? trash, and I want to make my own edit of it. Yeah, recut it. Everyone I know wants to recut it. I want to recut street trash. Because I do think there's a tighter, better title of street trash in there, actually. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but you have to admit, um, one of the things that is amazing about this film, let's put the content aside. And obviously Jennifer Aspinall's work, but the cinematography is fantastic, and that's because no, the director. Not. Yeah, it is. It depends on which version you've seen, because the cinematographer, he's like, you know, he shot The Abyss, and he shot all these other films. He he was Oscar nominated for Crash, with Paul Haggis's terrible racist racism movie from L.A. Uh, you know, now, I will say that I noticed his, his skill and work in the junkyard scenes. And in the Vietnam flashback scenes, I did notice that there, here's what I did notice about him. He took what simple, what he was limited with, and he made it work. Because this, this again, suffers from another thing that I hate about 80s low-budget movies, whereas you've got this big, vast, the shoot outside, for example, on a lot or something, and you've got this vastness outside that doesn't match the number of bodies you have in the screen. And it they, it, it makes it doesn't it doesn't look as good. Well, you know, oh, haha, we got a caller. You want to bring him on? Sure. Person? I actually think I know who this is. I recognize him. Welcome to the repo nerds. Who are we talking to? Hello? Yes. Hello? Can you hear me? <laughs> we can hear you. You're Lombardo? on the Repo Nerd. Yeah, this is a this is a very sick Mike Lombardo. Um, uh, how you guys hi, doing? Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think I contracted the Black Death. I was going to take a few shots of Tenafly Viper to try to loosen stuff up, but I figured I'd call him <laughs> to tell Tommy how wrong he is first. Okay, that's fine. Uh, tell me how wrong I am, Mike. You're the filmmaker. I'm just the writer. Okay, so Street Trash is a brilliant movie. It's been a favorite of mine since I was uh, probably too young to watch it. Um, I caught the tail end as I was, I was trying to listen on the computer. Uh, when I called in, I was getting two different timestamps, so I missed part of what you were saying. But uh, um, Liz was just saying about Jim Nero being one of the world's like preeminent Steadicam operators, which is absolutely the case. The camera work in Street Trash is fucking phenomenal. Um, 
Also, Roy Frumkiss, who wrote the movie and produced it, is the guy that made Document of the Dead, the feature-length Dawn of the Dead doc from the seventies. He's a really well-known, he's a very well-known uh, documentary filmmaker. Um, but besides all that, uh, Street Trash, Street Trash is not just a cheesy exploitation movie. Um, Street oh, Trash I, I, I know is that. Basically, well, Street Trash is essentially it's a a loose form and ensemble anthology. It's basically it's an anthology piece that doesn't have separations between the stories. It just kind of all takes place in its own universe. And I think that's a really interesting style that they chose for that. And I, I caught the tail end of you guys saying that you wish you could re-edit the movie. The problem is there is another cut of the movie, but it's not available. It's an extra, like, 30 minutes. And I, it's longer, and that would be the better movie. And I want to see it so bad. No, I think it's too really? long. I oh, had it's not no too idea. Long. It, yeah, it's the director's cut of the movie was over three hours, but it wraps up the subplots, so it connects everything way better. The because at its core, <laughs> street trash is about urban decay. <clears throat> it's about right. the treatment of of veterans and you know how society kind of outcasts people that it doesn't want to look at, and uh, especially Vietnam vets. And that was supposed to be the major uh, thematic uh, thread through the whole thing. So the crazy junkyard king is actually, um, at the end of the movie, it's revealed that he's actually the father of the two main bums. Um, and they only have a couple scenes in the movie that still have snippets of that. Um, I can't oh, remember the name it, of the characters it, right it, now. It, it is crazy. implied that they're, they're related. Yeah, well, the brother, the two brothers, it's Mike and I can't remember the other guy's name, but they're talking, he's like, you know, you weren't even old enough to know what Dad was like when he came back. He couldn't even watch a Godzilla movie without freaking out. And he has a necklace on, and at the end of the movie, he really you find out that the guy, the necklace he's wearing, is he's trying to kill his own kids. He realizes it's his, it's his children, and he just goes completely batshit. But it turns into this almost Shakespearean tragedy is what they were trying to do. But then they mixed it with you know obviously exploitation and stuff. And it's such a cool uh, subplot to have going on. Um, but I mean, the movie is super satirical. There's so much going on with little stories and everything, and I think that's. I think people come into Street Trash thinking it's just going to be about people melting, and that's not the focus of the movie. It's just like Chud. People expect, and I put those in the same category <clears throat> because they're both Urban Decay 80s movies that rely heavily on their production design with all the grime and the dirt and all that stuff. But people come into Chud expecting a monster movie, and it's actually a character ensemble piece that happens to have monsters in it. And that's kind of what Street Trash is. It's a character piece. And then there's all that wacky shit kind of as a backdrop. And so I think depending on what you're expecting, that's kind of, you know, where people's initial uh, uh, opinions are, or the way they, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm almost fried right yeah, now. I didn't know uh, what to expect when I went into the movie. Um, he didn't even know it existed. I didn't even know about this fucking movie existing until last year. Oh, and man, yeah, it's, it's been a cult, a cult favorite for a long time, but I mean, just the, just the sheer, the palsiness of it, like, it's just so fucking out there, and they pulled no punches, the movie is so filthy, and so offensive, and it's just, it's so gleefully offensive, and I say that, yes. I mean, it's never, it never comes off as legitimately mean-spirited, it's just super fucking weird, and you I know, just, I don't know, I love, I love that. To me, it's kind of like a bizarro anthology from today, that was made yeah, back then. That. It was a yeah, modern I mean, day and bizarre anthology made in the 80s. Yeah. 
I could definitely see it influencing Bizarro. I mean, it's it is it's just a loose form anthology. But what I think I just think is so great about it is they define each of these characters, these homeless people. They have such a unique look and story behind them. This whole it's this it's again it's like Chud. There's this whole underworld that you would never know once you cross that threshold into the junkyard. It's like a whole other existence. And they've got their own problems, their own stuff going on, and you see relationship dynamics between the brothers and the, the assistant who works in the junkyard and all that stuff. So if you really look at it, there is a lot going on there. They're just wrapping it up in this filthy, you know, exploitative uh, slaughter fest. And, I mean, it's one of the best, probably the best keep-away game with a severed penis I've ever seen. That's how I feel. I always people don't believe me. Everyone goes, even better than I spit on your grave. I'm like, even better than I spit on your grave. Well, this is then the guy grabs his dick and then he jumps on the back of a school bus full of children to go to the hospital. It's just it's so fucking horrible. I love it. It, 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 <laughs> it is it is brilliant and sad and tragic and stupid all in a tight P five for Whoa, you know, yeah, it, 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 it absolutely is. It's like it, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain. It's and I mean, let's talk about the effects work. Uh, and, the effects are Tommy, so fucking phenomenal. I'm teasing you a bit because I realize that street trash is an acquired taste. Not everyone is like myself and Mike Lombardo and just absolutely, but there are. No, I, I, I look at it objectively. Fans. Yeah, but you, know, you know, I look at it objectively. But it does have its place in, or especially makeup effects history. I really do think it has its place right there with Werewolf in London and and you know, Stan Winston's doing and Rick Baker. All these guys oh, and this lady are all doing this stuff all at the same time. And 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 you know she doesn't even have half the budget that those guys have. And look what she's doing with it. Yeah, well, right. they did so much crazy nonsense. Each of those death scenes is so unique. And, I mean, even the short film they made beforehand with Roy Frumkiss is just, it's so innovative. I mean, the camera, I can't stop talking about the camera work. It's just the steady cam work, that scene where it goes through the, the rubble of the building up to the toilet where the guy is melting, you know, the famous shot that became the poster. Just that camera work is so batshit nuts. It's like Evil Dead on acid. <laughs> no one was doing stuff like that back then. I mean, nobody was doing that kind of shit. Like, this movie was super punk rock. Like, everyone's like, what the fuck is this? Because and it was it very hard to get good copies of it. Very What's hard that? to get good copies. I was saying, until the oh day, God, it was I paid, really hard. Go ahead. I was, when I was a kid, this was my white whale was this movie on video, and I finally found it at a Fangoria Weekend of Horrors when I was, like, 13 on VHS, and I bought it. I was searching for years. But here, I heard about it in, you know, books in the back of Fangoria. People would talk about it. And when AOL came out in the chat rooms, it was always mentioned in the same breath as Necromantic and, uh, you know, Reanimator and all these other movies. I'm like, what is this? Like, I have to see this movie. And when I finally saw it, it blew my mind. I'm like, I had never seen anything quite like it. And I don't think there, any, there is anything quite like it. There is isn't anything like it. It is so fucking crazy. But it also, the biggest thing about it, though, is it has so much heart. The character, um, uh, their friend, uh, the big black guy, always wears the firefighter pants, the gas mask. Uh, Bert, I think his name is. Just a little subplot with him. Like, there's so much genuine heart there between these characters. But they're, you know, they're homeless people. But they're Well, that's so... what kept me watching the movie, was the characters 
Um, they kept me interested in it. Well, and that's the thing. It is a character piece, and then they just happen to have all this nutso shit going on. But, I mean, I applaud them, too, for just being able to wrap all the stories together with the Flatbush Foot Brigade, like the Vietnam stuff mixed with the two brothers and all that. Like, it all kind of – they it almost like – like four or five little, you know, slice of life stories that kind of happen to intersect because they're happening on the same block. But they intersect in really whacked out ways involving neon colored slime, which, you know, <laughs> is the best. But just the <laughs> costumes and everything, like just unreal to get that kind of, you don't get that kind of dirt and grime anymore in movies. Everyone has to look, like you guys were talking about Marvel movies, everyone has to be a fucking GQ model. <clears throat> and even when someone gets into a fight, and they're getting the shit beat out of them, you get a little cut on their cheekbone and maybe a little bit of blood out of their nose, maybe a little bruise on their cheek, and that's it. But you see a movie like Street Trash, everyone's wearing, like, ratty lingerie, and they're filthy and grimy. Uh, You don't do that to actors anymore. People won't let it happen. The only only director I think that came even close to that would be John Waters, and he hasn't made a movie in, what, forever. So, uh, you know. Yeah, he hasn't made a filth movie in so long. But the thing with John Waters, is and he's even said this is you can't push the envelope anymore. He said the stuff that got me banned in the seventies is in like American Pie that people you can rent at Blockbuster now. And he's like, you know, what, what's left? You know, what's taboo anymore? And you know, it sucks, but it's true. I mean, apparently, John Waters also has, is still. Well, I'm going to say this: you found it with <laughs> White Doomsday, motherfucker. You tapped into <laughs> what? You, you tapped into that. There. You crossed the magic yeah, line that comedians are afraid to cross, you know, the line. It was a Childhood bad case of... stopping prick. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations on the win, by the way. Yeah, congratulations for Crimson Screams. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited. Very proud of Hope uh, for the Best Actress, and I'm proud of my crew for the Best Feature. I was very, very excited about that. Um, everyone, we had a really mm-hmm. good screen, and there was over 100 people there. Everyone really loved the movie. We only had two walkouts, and the one guy came up to me afterwards, and he's like, you made White Dunes Day? I'm like, yeah, he's telling me how much he loves it and everything. He's like, I'm the guy that walked out halfway through. I was like, uh, thanks? And he's like, I'm telling you, man, I've got an eight-year-old at home, and it's his birthday this weekend. I couldn't be there. And he said that movie was ripping my fucking guts apart. He's like, I can't sit through it today. I want to see it, but I can't do it. And he just shook my hands. I'm like, cool, I'll take it. <laughs> that works. I told you, Liz and I, when you you show this at Scares, Liz and I are standing outside with little stuffed animals <laughs> to hand to people as they leave so they feel better. Because <laughs> you're just an evil man. You're an evil man. Yeah. Well, so with Doomsday, much like what I was saying about Street Trash, to bring this all together, and John Waters, is I don't feel like John Waters or Street Trash is trying. They're never mean about it. They have like super offensive, whacked out shit, but it's never mean. There's a lot of heart, and I think no. that the Doomsday. I really wanted they're to try to put downward. a lot of heart into it. It never comes off as mean spirited or ugly. No, it's it, there is a core of a relationship there, and I think that's the difference between a movie like Street Trash or John Waters or White Doomsday, and then something like Saw, where you're supposed to root for these people getting, you know, mutilated in horrible ways and instead of actually caring about the characters because John Waters especially, he loves his weirdos and degenerates in his movies. He absolutely adores them. He gives them the screen time that a movie star would get and he revels in it and that's what Street Trash does. And, you know, Doomsday actually was inspired a lot by, White, or by um, 
Street Trash and Chud in its production design. I really wanted that same kind of, that's why the fingernails are grimy. I wanted to go with that style, like that grime, that, that dirtiness, that, that realism that I loved, I watched growing up in the 80s. You don't see that anymore. And, you know, our lead actress, she was like, you know, I want to look, she's like, we're looking for a costume. She's like, so am I going to look like kind of hot? I'm like, no, not even close. Like, if I had my way, I'd black out some of your teeth and your hair would be falling out in patches. Like, you want that, you know, it just puts you in a different world when you see actors just look like emaciated animals in these movies. And, you know, like I said, you, you don't see that anymore. And that's something I really loved about Street Trash. Like, their makeup design and their production design is just fucking phenomenal. Well, thank you for calling. It's always a pleasure to hear yeah. from you, Mike. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'm done rambling. I, I have to go to sleep now. I think I've, I've used yeah, up as please, much of my voice as I can. Yeah, please get some NyQuil and go bury your head in the sand, and we'll see you in a few weeks at Scares That Cares for sure. All right, a few weeks. Is it a few weeks? Two months. Two months from Two months. Yeah. Two months from I'm like, shit, I mean, I'm out of it, but am I that out of it? It's holy crazy. Eight weeks. Eight weeks. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's better. I feel like Bruce Campbell at the end of Army of Jackson. It's like, how long was I asleep? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're all right. Go, go All ahead. right, well, go. I'll talk to you, uh, I'll talk talk to you, you later, later buddy. But, Tommy, when you rewatch Street Trash and realize it's brilliant, you come talk to me. Okay. <laughs> all right, see you guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, Bye. there you go, Mike Lombardo. All right, we're going to play. It's always uh, a pleasure. He 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 heard that you know uh, I had talked about him street trash and like I don't think Tommy liked it very much. He goes, oh hell no, I gotta come on. So you know, so <laughs> I thought you would get a kick out of that. So uh, it's not yeah, that so- I didn't like the movie. It, it, like you said, it's it's not for everybody, and that style of film really isn't the style of film I like to watch. Uh, I'll be honest. Do I do I see what it did, and do I? Totally respect the film? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did Mike make valid arguments for it? Absolutely he did. I got nothing better, nothing else to say. You know, watch it. You form your own opinion. It really is one of those films you can't really recommend to other people except for real film lovers. <laughs> because, it's, I, I mean, I would walk up to my, like, grandmother and go, hey, watch Street Trash. You know, I, I don't think that would work. But don't walk in and be watching. I said, "What the fuck is this?" So I made Michael Darwin <laughs> watch it with me at Scares That Cares last year, right before the panel. We watched it together in his room. So I, oh. I, I sometimes do occasionally make people watch this movie uh, to test their um, their fidelity. <laughs> All right, we're gonna have, listen to uh, you talk to Jennifer Aspen now. We're gonna go back on the Wayback Machine and go back yeah, to a couple really of years. Yeah, this is a time machine time, right? It's awesome. Yeah. I've never read it. After this, we'll be back to tell you guys about our our gooey uh, recommendations. Yeah, good pairing. So my guest tonight, I believe that she's on the air, so we're going to go right into it. 
Um, most of my horror geeks that listen would know her from her re- work from Street Trash and Toxic Avenger, but you may have also seen her work on SNL Mad TV and The Tonight Show with Jane Leto. Um, when I started doing this podcast, um, I made a list of people that I wanted to be to talk to someday, and the number one name I wrote on there was Jennifer Aspinall. Kind of surprised me too, but I love makeup artists and I love street trash and toxic avenger and she was a pioneer at the time and still working to this day on amazing stuff so i'm really humbled and honored to have her on my anniversary show please welcome to our show emmy Wimmer, makeup fx artist and horror icon jennifer aspinall hello miss aspinall you are on with the sexy images how are you doing hi Hi. i'm great how are you we are congratulations Elated we're sexy. How are you? Yeah, no, we're always sexy. I'm tired, but I like to think she's sexy. She's sexy, too, so she fits right in. I told her she was. <laughs> oh, I have never doubted that. So, Miss Aspinall, this is the Sexy Witches. Thank you. My name is Elizabeth Gray. I'm the head huntress. Um, you've met Bonnie. She met you in person at Cinema Wasteland. She's on the line, too. Hello. Say hello, Bonnie. Hi. Hi, Bonnie. Hello, Bonnie. Hi. I mean, <laughs> and, and so the one person you haven't responded to yet um, is Erin Marie. She's my sexy porn witch from West from uh, from Virginia. I almost called you West Virginia. Hi. How horrible is that? Again. <laughs> I don't know. I do apologize, but we are the Sexy Witches, and this is a call-in show. It's kind of like a party line. We just kind of talk about whatever we want to talk about. And obviously, we are here. We, you thank you for coming on the show. I know you have an extremely sure. busy schedule, and it, it, you know, like I said, when I did my list, it, you were number one on my list. I just like well, really want to talk thank to you. her. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for that. And, That's uh, very sweet. Hi. It, it's just you know. A lot. I love makeup artists. Matter of fact, you and I have a, a mild acquaintance with R.J. Hattie from season four or season three of Face Off. So, uh, you know, it's kind of small world. Sometimes you bump into people like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was a huge fan of Stan Winston and, you know, and Tom mm-hmm. Savini as a kid. And, but, and you were right there with them. And, you know, you still hear the names like that in mainstream a lot of times, but you don't always hear your name except for, like, Fangoria, which has been a huge supporter of you over the years. Uh, you know, um, but I noticed reading some of your articles, you were talking about how you never really felt like, and this has been a hot subject for the sexy witches because it's all over the web about women and inequality and things like that. And I noticed you said that you never found it really in the makeup industry itself but in other places. And I'll move year, a few years later. We're in 2016. You did that interview in 2013, I read. Um, has it, any of this evolved or changed? Is the, is the noise louder than the truth? Uh, how has it how what? Has been in the, in, the, in the industry, and how has, it, how has things evolved since the, um, the 80s, 90s, and now we're in the 2015s and onwards? What interview were you quoting? What interview were you talking about? Uh, I was reading a 2013 interview on Fangoria, really short, sweet interview about you directing uh, the transformation sequence in Toxic Avenger, and you mentioned mm-hmm. in there about um, you you uh, came across as being a woman, uh, never really any industry issues with, with your own industry. It was always from people I from think- other departments. 
Yeah, I think that was I think that was probably projected mm, probably slightly different than I really meant it. I think that it's it's definitely in our industry and if if they're meaning the makeup world. It's definitely in the makeup world. But I myself often just operate as an artist, so I tend to not try to feed into any of that. So I tend to try to just move forward and not hold on to that stuff. But it is there, yeah. and it, it, in, the, in the making of some of those uh, films back in the 80s, it was, it was a, again, I was a department head, and I was young, and I and didn't really always see or feel or know what I was experiencing with that kind of um, issue in regards to uh, sexism or or uh, a any certain of that. type of naivety, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but it but it 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 did occur to me later on down in in my life. But um, you know, it back then I definitely felt it more from different departments. But it didn't it did as I got into the makeup effects world, it definitely was present. But again I try not to, just as a human being, not feed into that stuff. So I try not to get caught up in it. And I think it it is sort of one of those situations that um the only way you can really combat it is to just do your own thing and, and not let it influence you. So you're on the back half of an independent film career where you've done a lot of stuff since then. And we're on like our, our beginning end of it. And I want to say from our end in the horror scene, none of us have ever, I, Bonnie can attest, I can attest, I have never felt anything like that. I've always felt welcome yeah. and very encouraged to assist in any way possible. <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah. you know, so I, I really I enjoy that kind of aspect I, the creation part of it is the best most wonderful part of what yeah. I do well there's a dog and I think that that's and probably I, it, changed a lot from from the 80s from when I started and, and again there weren't many I don't I didn't know any other women doing what I was doing at that time I know there were a few I, I, women I, doing it there still really it, isn't um, that as many uh, <laughs> no there's still I, less, and, less in the effects world, there's still it's although it's it, it is you know it's such a different world than it, it was 30 years ago. It's just a different experience. Um, there's a lot present at this point in history, and and a lot of the stuff that went on in in that period, you know, probably thanks. I don't want to take credit, but I think thanks to people like myself and and V and everybody else, women who have been in it for so long. You know, okay. there is a different mindset at this point, and I don't think that. I think in the um, in the lower budget horror film world, there's probably a different. Uh, you know, it's just a different a different experience at this point, and mm-hmm. and I'm glad that you guys aren't experiencing it, and and I'm hoping that we'll keep continuing to be all over uh, the world, and uh, you know, not just our little industry. But, um, you know, it would be great if that could just keep moving into just staying focused on the creative part and not have to get mm-hmm. focused on anything else. Yeah. Well, I, I thank you so much. I know I didn't mean to start with such a heavy question. I was really surprised. No, that's okay. You start out heavy so you can get light. You want the interview no, okay, to be yeah. end on a good note. <laughs> uh, I think this, it's a this good, whole I think episode has been nothing right but, now. like, 
porn conversations. Like, I swear. Like, I don't know why so much porn has been talked about in this episode. So believe me, we've been talking really, like, light stuff on this episode. So I was really surprised how strong that was. You do I was like, have, oh, I'm really, well, I have a strong I, I find it interesting because it definitely, it definitely keeps coming up in my life recently, which I think is really interesting. I keep being asked about it and doing interviews where I'm, it's the main thing, and yeah. I, I wonder if there's yeah. something going on in the universe where people are just becoming so conscious that it's really out there. And I, 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 I just think it might be the year. current political climate and, and how yeah, it is. It's, it's, so, it is. it's so hypersensitive right now. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, yeah, there's always a middle ground, I, I commend though. you, I mean, though. I, I, I love your approach, Jennifer. I, love, I commend you for just, you know, because sometimes things just happen, and you can't you can't change people in a day. You can't change them in a week. You can't change them even in a year sometimes. And you just have to keep keep your head down and keep working and keep going forward because people don't know what they do. They don't realize what they do, and you no. just yeah. move on. And, and it shows great strength really to people around you. Yeah, just it's it's just a different. Um, uh, what am I saying? It's it's just. For me, that's my philosophy in life is to stay. I believe that we influence our environment by by the way we act and the way that we carry ourselves and what we do. And the best way to change anything is to change ourselves and to stay focused on putting out that energy because that energy will influence everything and everybody around you. And and I think that I, I get less of that stuff coming at me because I just don't operate in that space. And and when it does show up, it's amazing to see it, and I do see it. And as a Leo, I I have a reaction to it, but as Mm. a a spiritual being, I'm very conscious of making sure that I process it in a a constructive way. So, you know, it's just a matter of putting it out there and how you want to conduct your life, I guess. Well, you have won an Emmy, so... Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it, it's not all been bad at all. I mean, like, the, the matter of fact, you've had a really awesome career and you won an enemy for Mad TV, and I wanted to ask you if you are working on the new series. Well, I'm hoping to. My producer is uh, in the middle of casting and getting everything uh, um, up and running. So we have had a couple of conversations, but nothing's done yet so I don't know I'm I'm hoping that I'll be able to go back and and revisit it it would be an awesome experience I think that uh, I I, myself and the executive producer are probably the only two people that were on the show from the very first day to the very last day and it would be really uh, an awesome experience to continue on with it and do it to the, the the last few, uh, you know, the next few episodes, the next chapter. Oh, rather. yeah. Um, if I read your IMDb page right, it said 17 nominations? Yeah. Emmys. That's, that's impressive. And that's incredible. Like five Guild Awards? Yeah. But, I, I yeah, wanted to say, my, one of my favorite makeups you've ever done, though, was actually uh, one of your beauty changeovers, though, uh, not Mad TV, but uh, it was uh, David Bowie into uh, Andy Warhol. Is that right? Yeah. And, and, that and, was... and, 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 and that's what I, I haven't love about seen your work. Is, yeah, I love about your work. And, and, and it was one of the reasons, you know, you obviously can do the prosthetic stuff like Toxic Avenger and the melting. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Nathan asked me to talk about your melting. So you've got to talk a little bit about how you melt things. <laughs> 
for us. But, you know, you also do a lot of beauty makeups, a lot of transformation makeups. Uh, you do uh, tattooing. You turn Scott Ian into uh, Jerry Garcia. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so uh, I wanted to know if you had to, like, choose one. Like, if suddenly God came down and said, okay, Jennifer Espinal, you've done everything you could possibly do, which discipline do you want to teach for the rest of your life? Which one would that be for you? What, what would be your favorite thing to continue to do in heaven, was per se? Uh, um, what's your favorite type of about ever. makeup? Or like, yeah, makeup. Like, what's your favorite makeup? Do you makeup? Would you rather? I'm a yeah, I'm a character makeup artist. I like to build characters, and I like to create mm-hmm. characters. I like to assist my actors in creating characters. So that's my forte, and I think that's what, I, what I've gotten known for in the business is mostly the character work. Um, I'm, I, yeah, I, I think that's my, probably my favorite because it incorporates almost all of, all of the kind of stuff that we do. And, and it's also... My the whole reason I even started doing this as a child was I really liked illusion, and that's for me creating that kind of illusion is my favorite thing to do. I I happened to read that 2013 Fangoria interview today myself, and I was fascinated mm-hmm. that your dad looked like Lon Chaney. Exactly. Yeah, he he kind of looked Lucky like Lon girl. Chaney without any makeup, so it was fun to that's change awesome. him into Lon Chaney's characters so I would I mean that would have been an extremely fun childhood (laughs) I was very I was very lucky I had two two parents who were open-minded enough to uh support me in in whatever I wanted to do and I um I started doing this when I was really young I started when I was about nine and started disguising myself and my parents and everything and and my little brother and 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 started really working when I was 11 and by the time I was 12 I was really really working and I was you know like I said I was blessed that my parents were open-minded enough to drive me to the theater every night and let me let me come home do my paper route go to the theater come home and do my homework and go to school the next morning and I did that my entire you know from the time I was like 11 till the time I graduated high school so I was you know eh I was lucky enough to have a family that was supportive. And, and, and I know <laughs> I know that a, a lot of 80s geeks like me grew up on classics like The Toxic Avenger. So thank you so much for amazing well, work. I like it. I'm uh, glad that it's still around. That makes me laugh. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about New York City for a moment because you moved there and started your career in New York City and one of the things you did was Phantom of the Opera is that right um yeah actually I I mean I started Toxic Avenger was really pretty much my first like well, it was pretty much my first film I, I was doing commercials in New York before that but um but as far as theater goes yeah I mean I got to do Phantom on Broadway and uh, a few other things on Broadway. And the last one I designed was Victor Victoria with Julie Andrews. But um yeah, Phantom was awesome. I, I had a really neat experience. I was called by um Dick Smith at one point to work with him nice. on Phantom of the Alpha and to help redesign it. And uh they wanted to bring it from London and, and redesign it. And 
at the last minute, we ended up not doing the job because they realized they had an amazing contract with the makeup artist who did design it and weren't able to re- weren't able to contractually redo it. So um, that that in itself is a piece of history in the makeup world. And I'm really tired and really embarrassed that I can't remember the makeup artist's name because it's one of the two most famous British designers. Anyway, um, so that was uh, my experience with that. And then and then I ended up uh, a few years later being called to come in and, and do the application of the prosthetics um, once the show had already gotten up and running. So that was nice. That was off and on it for, oh, God, probably 15 years and back and forth. Whenever my friend Thelma didn't want to needed a break, I was going and help out. But yeah, and uh, we're huge Broadway film. At least two of us here are. I don't know about Bonnie, but myself and Aaron, a huge Broadway musical geek. So we had to ask yeah. about Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. uh, so, uh, I, I mean, yeah. I have to just contain myself to go, did you work with Sarah Brightman? Oh, my God, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, you know. <laughs> are you, are yeah, you a big, but, you're a big phantom uh, a fan? Oh, yeah. Love yeah. phantoms. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did have a question of my own, by the way. As I was reading your IMDb page, I saw that you worked on the last Indiana Jones film. Yes. Yeah, crystal. I have to go crystal back on skulls. That page. I haven't, I haven't updated that page or really looked at it. I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's pretty incomplete. But um, I'm glad somebody's looking at it. I should probably go in and look at it. I think. Are you, can you change it around? I think you can change it, right? You can add stuff. All I oh yeah, you can, can edit it. I got oh, her too. You totally her. Because when I yeah, when yeah. I met her, I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah I, I got her. I got her like that. She should pay attention to that stuff. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, yes, Indiana Jones. It was awesome. It, I got to work on that year. My two favorite franchises in the whole world: the Star Trek and Phantom of the. Uh, uh, here I go, Phantom of the Opera. I'm okay. Just how tired I am. Um, <laughs> Star Trek and Indiana Jones. Yeah. I, I, what specific um, effects did you really like on that set? Uh, I mean. On on Indiana Jones. Indiana mm-hmm. always has some pretty spectacular effects. And then yeah, and you make and crystal was, skull. Yeah. yeah, we got to do the uh, the tribal stuff. We did a lot of fun stuff with with all the tribal makeups, and nice. they were they were beautiful, and they were very long makeups. And, and there was an ant attack too, stuff. wasn't there? Ant attack. Yeah. I don't think I remember yeah, them. Like those are. Those are CG Maybe though. CG, Her makeup yeah. was practical, so yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm much more for practical effects, and that's, I'm glad that they, I'm glad that the industry is leaning more towards it again too. It is. You're yeah, right. That's exactly really, what I was just going to say. I think that's cool. why, like you notice, Jennifer, that people are talking about it a lot. It's not just being obsessed with feminism. I think it's that you do practical effects, and that's really and people are focusing on yeah. that a lot more, especially in in India. Yes. Yes. So. Uh, it's having uh, a I resurgence, and we're all excited. It's yeah. like we realize what computers can there's do. Been, there's been screenings <laughs> of your movies again, and people love your movies, and I dragged Erin to see it for my birthday, and I was like, look, she's just as important as all these other guys, and here, have a watch of this. <laughs> and so I, you know, I wanted to ask you about Street Trash really quick before you go, because sure. I wanted the grand finale with Street Trash 
So how do you melt a person? Ah, uh, well, that was the 80s, <laughs> and that was the very beginning of a lot of that kind of stuff. So I, we were, all of that stuff was foam rubber and um, mesocell. And the cool thing with the mesocell that I think we, we got to do was all of the um, the dyeing of it and, and the whipping of it and making it opaque and translucent and playing with color. And uh, as a painter, that was exciting. And I... I was really, I really wanted to melt them into their environment. So the colors that are all in them are drawn from either the graffiti or the floor or something that they're in. So it kind of morphs with the with their environment. So that was that was fun, but that was mostly you know classic sculpting, you know, some rubber pieces and puppets and and lots and lots, well, lots of stuff. But that's also one of the reasons why we love you, because not only do you create this stuff, but you also are fast and reuse other pieces. And one of my other favorite people is Sarah, is Sarah Trosh. She's a costumer. She does the exact same thing with costumes. She takes her old stuff, cuts it up, and reuses yeah. it. And, and you do that, too. And we could all yeah, learn from your skill that way. Um, repurpose, and, and reuse, recycle. I think it's like a piece of collage work. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of stuff that I, I'm on in the last 20 years, there's really not a lot of time, whether it was Saturday Night Live or Mad TV, even um, even some of the films I've done, we, we don't have always have a lot of time to do to do a lot of sculpting and makeup tests. And and that's probably where my skill set is a lot different than some of the, the, the guys or the shops that do the film work because I'm used to having to cheat things and how to cheat them and make them happen fast and how to make them happen in quick changes. So I I do learn, I do know how to manipulate foam rubber and change it from what it might have originally been because I, I think it's a sculpting it's it's a my ability to sculpt and and see things three dimensionally lets me take shapes that are already there and make them in, and and build them into other shapes and it's it's kind of a joke with my friends and and people that know me and and work with me because it's sort of like I make everything out of forehead pieces. So it's just sort of like, how many forehead pieces did you use to make that creature? You know, you end up... <laughs> That's awesome. Is that, why you're holding, is that why you're holding a forehead up on your on your lotion site? Yes, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. Love it. Oh. It's, just, it's, just, it's just something that I do, and I kind of like it a lot because it makes me laugh. But I, I find some sort of weird <laughs> joy in, in seeing what I can create out of, you know... 30 cheek pieces and and 27 forehead pieces, but mm-hmm. it's um it, it, it but it does save me time and money. So if I already have the molds, I I can, I know, you know, it's some just because of whatever I have in my my artistic uh, capacity. Yeah, wait, I, I, what size are you? What size work. forehead are you? I have that in my back pocket. Me? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have a tiny head, but I'm probably like two inches, three inches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very. I have met. I have met pit, pit bulls with larger heads than mine. I'm. Anyway, any other any other um, questions? So Miss Aspinall, uh, may may I ask you? I know you're extremely busy, and I'm about to let you go and take a nap because you know you've got. I know you're extremely busy. Can you tell I us what you're busy finish. on? Yes, I have. If I get off the phone, I'm in the middle of building a um, 
an installation for a, a garden here in in California called it's up in Pasadena called Descanso Gardens, and I have a business with a friend of mine. We build what we call human vases, and I don't know if you guys saw any of that on my website. I did but, see no, them. Like I human did. Vase. They're beautiful. I love those pictures. Thank you. I saw them. I didn't see. Them. So yeah. I take. I'll, show, I'll post them. Oh, great. Thank you. Please do. That would yeah. be awesome. Um, we we take models, and most of the times they're nudes, and I do illusionary paint, body paint, and or cover them with um, stones or, or glass and build prosthetics and headpieces and costume bits. And then my partner is a floral designer, and we incorporate huge floral arrangements into these people so they become human human centerpieces, basically. So I'm in the middle of building one for this garden, which will not be a nude, so she will have to have a costume, and she is um, going to be a butterfly princess. So I'm building a uh, a costume and headpiece and shoes and set pieces and all for her to, to sit in the middle of this um, wrought iron cage that we have for her. So it's... Um, oh, an, an oh I'd love to see that finished project. Yeah, we'll be posting it. It's it's a lot of fun. We do them every year for this particular garden, and it's um, can I can I ask what her colors are going to be? Uh, yeah, she's going to be off white and white with gold accents, and uh, blue and purple uh, are the other colors that are in it. Sort of a soft, soft sort of an opalescent kind of palette. So she's she's. I'll probably do the detail work in gold. Like gold. Yeah, oh, purple. Yeah. Purple's my favorite color. That sounds gorgeous. Actually, my head's yeah. purple right now. <laughs> that's, that's the most that's mystical that's color. That is so uh, wonderful. You can follow us, and we'll we'll be posting it in a couple. We we do it in in May. So. Oh, I'll certainly be looking for that, ma'am. And uh, first of all, once again, thank you for coming on the show and taking oh, time out you. on this tiny podcast. You have made my no journey, uh, and, and it's such a good, Anytime. it's such a good omen. And and you're as cool. And when I, when I and thank you for not freaking out for us stalking you like we did. Uh, so, uh, oh no, we, we saw. We saw that the Street Trash reunion was happening at Cinema Wasteland. We're like, this is our shot to see if she'd actually do it. So we, we wanted to Aww. say we love you and we love your work. And and we hope that you get Mad TV. I think you so should be on Mad TV. And I can't wait to see the human vase. And well, uh, please let's post it on your progress. So. Thank you very much. Anytime. Thank you for even wanting to talk to me. That's always an honor. I was a very oh, I was a considerate. I was a very considerate stalker, I think. Wasn't I, Jennifer? I was. Yeah. You were lovely. <laughs> lovely. I was like, this is gonna be great. Yeah, I noticed that you and you know, after I walked away, um I was like, Well, I couldn't have done so bad. Because a guy approached me and he's like, are you an effects artist yourself or do you do makeup or something? And he's like, just the way that you were talking to Jennifer. And it was, he's like, it just, like you knew her. I'm like, no, I just kind of, I, I sell glasses for a living. I'm like, I just kind of pretended I was selling glasses, but instead I was talking about effects. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> they were well. Okay. It was wonderful well, to meet you. Did you have, did you have fun at the, at the cinema wasteland thing? That was fun. What's that? Did you have a good time? Oh, I had a wonderful time. 
Yeah. I had a wonderful hedonistic time, let me tell you. Awesome. Very cool. And that's what it's all about. Where, where are you guys located? All, all over the place. Where are you? I'm in Annapolis, Maryland, and and Aaron's in uh, Clifton Forge, Clifton uh, Forge Virginia. Virginia. In Virginia. And oh, then wow. Bonnie's, Bonnie's she's upstate New York, right? Yeah. About uh, 20, yeah. seriously, so upstate. I'm 20 miles below the, the Canadian border. So I'm really close oh, to Oh, wow. Yeah. You are. Yeah. So well, we're I'll from all over. That's You're cool. in New York right now? Okay. I'm going to give, I'll awesome. be in New York in a week. Yeah, I'm coming back. Oh. The weather's gorgeous here. You're going to have a great time. I can't believe how spectacular it's been here. So uh, I'm so glad. I I will promise not to stalk you as crazily, but I am still going to follow your career closely, ma'am. So thank you so much. And please, if you have anything to drop, just drop it on my Facebook page. I'll just post it everywhere. So that's what I do. Well, when when I'm working on a show right now, when that comes down, I'm going to be doing a lot of that stuff, so you may end up getting a, a call. I t- no problem, no, no right. problems at all. Please, she will welcome calls at I'm any cool point in that. time, and we would love to have you back at any time. Yes, please call back for those things you want. So thank you. All right, all right. There's our thank sexy witch. Okay, thank you, Amber. Please, 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 please. Here on the repo, nerd. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. My interview skills are a little tighter, I think. I, I, I mean, better, but it's still a pretty solid interview. I mean, we cover everything in there. Everything from... Now, I recognize Erin's voice. Who was the other young yeah. lady in there? That was Bonnie Pavoni up in up near you. She's outside Syracuse. She's often at the Salt City Horror Fest with you, actually. Um, Bonnie Pavoni? Uh, yeah, Bonnie Pavoni. She also does uh, Slaughter in Syracuse, the short program... Up there. Did she used to do your show with you? Uh, she sometimes, yeah. Occasionally she calls in. She hasn't called in in a while. I miss her, actually. I wish she'd call again. Uh, but she's been kind oh, of busy. Bonnie Yeah. Bonnie Knapp for Bonnie. That's it. It's her. She's a model and, you know, uh, she's a cool. I, I miss her. She's very good. She got. She helped me get that interview because um, uh, Jennifer Aspinall made her first convention appearance at Cinema Wasteland. And so... I like. I knew Bonnie was going to be there. I'm like, please, you can get Jennifer Espinosa. Oh no, no, she's in so, Plattsburgh, is where she is. Yeah, she's, she's up way in north. where they talk with the funny talk up there. You know, they talk yeah, like they're in Canada, she, eh? Yeah, no, she's yeah. she's definitely close to the border. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, but she 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 is a connoisseur of, of gooey gooey films like we're talking about, like free <laughs> trash and. Uh, you know, and things like along that nature. Uh, she, one of her favorite films is Harvest Lake, who's Scott Shermer, the director of Found, did a few years back with Ellie Church. Uh, you know, and that's an ooey gooey movie, ooey gooey sex movie, actually, to be exact. So, wow. there's a lot <laughs> of ooey gooey movies. I love ooey gooey movies. It is, uh, we've talked about my blob love. Like, The Blob is one of my all time favorite movies. Uh, the original oh, the Seven film is just, you know, Blobfest's coming up in a few weeks. It's the second weekend in July, usually. So uh, mm-hmm. they're having, a, they just announced today, Riku Browning, who played Creature with Black Lagoon, is going to make an appearance. He's done that before. He's awesome. I've met him at Monster Mania, actually. 
Uh, so, uh, so you know, I love ooey gooey movies, and I think that's why I love to trash so much is because it just hits my ooey gooey sweet spot. I mean, there is so much goo and ooey gooey gooey, and so uh, I should, <laughs> I, let's go into. My goo is my, old school. My goo yeah. is old school, not just blob, because I do love the blob movies, and as a D and D dungeon master, you know, I do love throwing, you know gelatinous oozes and, and stuff like that at people in, in that game. But um, as far as gooey movies go, um, I got to say, I like the Melty movies from the 70s. I've, I've, I've said this before, um, especially Devil's Reign, uh, featuring a post-Star Trek William Shatner and uh, Ernest Borgnine, who was well into his genre movie phase at that time, um, right around the time he did Poseidon Adventure as well, if, if I recall. Um, so yeah, I love the devil's reign and the wax melting people throughout that movie. Um, again, and Steven Spielberg even kind of paid homage to that in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Did he not? Well, yeah, it definitely melts people. Um, I always equate it with being in New York city because I was late night New York city and the bistro was open and the meat on the edge of the Greenwich village and the meat pasture district. It's the only place you can get like a $6 burger in all of New York. And that was the movie was playing at like three in the morning in New York. And I sat there and watched the last 45 minutes going, you know, as much as this movie is stupid, I can't stop watching it. I love this movie. (laughs) It's so dumb, but it's cool, right? You you there? Yeah. No, I'm here. why do you recommend it though? What what makes you draw to it? It's just a, what what why do I like Devil's Reign? It's just because it's. Yeah. I first saw it on like a monster movie matinee when I was a kid. Okay, because w- back in the day, movies like these, they didn't go to home video because we didn't have home video back then. They went right to syndication, and this hit syndication. And it just became a, a almost an immediate cult classic because of that. Um, the first time I saw it on Monster Movie Matinee, I was just dumbfounded, the people melting in it. And it also made me terrified of Ernest Borgnine. Um, well, uh, there's there's a lot of reasons goes, to be terrified of Ernest Borgnine. I mean, honestly. He's got the perfect devil worshiper eyebrows, doesn't he? Well, he is um, the devil in it, so, you know. <laughs> yes, he is. Absolutely, yeah. he is. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't until his role in Poseidon Adventure and then in Escape from New York where he played Cabby that I actually got over my fear of this motherfucker. Because he just <laughs> it's kind terrified of weird, me. Oliver Reed. I'm still slightly afraid of Oliver Reed, and he's dead. Uh, so there's the guy in Rosemary's Baby, too, uh, as well, he got to me. Um, that kind of has those same eyebrows. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, him, just yeah, creepy. Creepy, creepy, creepy. It's that 70s satanic thing that was going on in that yeah. time Yeah, and period. of course, you know, um, Anton LaVey is noted as being a advisor on this film, and they did actual satanic rites in the film. Um, another movie that was out in that same era was Race with the Devil, which combined Devil's Reign with Cannonball Run or Smoking in the Bandit, <laughs> in a sense. Um, by having a family being car chased by devil worshiping bikers uh, that had Peter Fonda in it. <laughs> uh, 
And that's a great movie, too. You know, talking about devil movies and stuff like that is a whole other subject here. We're talking about gooey movies. So, other oh, than, but... you know, what's your, what's your other go-to gooey splatter movie? Well, here's, let's go for crossover appeal real quick, because uh, it made me remind me of a movie that would bring it back to Ooey Gooey is Roger Corman's The Terror, because there's a sexy witch that melts in that movie. Right. Well, of course, our favorite would... melting witch is Margaret Hamilton in The Wizard of Oz. Come on. Well, you know, witches, I know a lot about melting witches, believe me. <laughs> you know, but, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We are talking about legally movies that pair well with street trash. And this movie I actually saw on my birthday at, um, there's a bar here in Baltimore called The Windless, which looks like the Red Room from Twin Peaks. It's been around forever. And, you know, and um, they sometimes there's my favorite um, T-shirt company, Pizza Party Printing, will have special screenings. And they played a double feature there of Street Trash and 1985 Larry Cohen's The Stuff, which is awesomely gooey movie. One of my favorites, one of the weirdest and for a perfect A.B. to Street Trash. It is, it is uh, first of all, Larry Cohen is a gonzo director and I love him so much. And, and when I'm ready and Necrocastica, we're gonna have a long conversation about Larry Cohen coming up, aren't we, Tommy? Yes, we are because Larry Cohen's going to be. Uh, there's a documentary on Larry Cohen coming out, and one of our upcoming episodes is going to be focusing on him. Yeah, so I'm really excited to talk about Larry Cohen because, but but we'll talk about we'll talk about the movie itself though. The stuff is about an evil ice cream. Okay, yes, it, I said it, evil ice cream. So this corporation is selling the stuff, and the stuff is this huge, and I guess we can go spoiler alert, because I'm going to spoil the fuck out of this movie from 85. So so the corporation sends out ice creams all far and wide. It's a big hit. Everyone loves the stuff. People can't stop eating it. People start getting addicted to it, and then people start changing, and not for the better. And some people notice, and some people don't, and Michael Moriarty uh, who started in Law and Order, um, also stars in this movie. And this is well before he went crazy. I don't know if you remember he went crazy for a time. So <laughs> okay. He did. He totally. Michael Moriarty, uh, he's a, he was a star of Law and Order, went totally nutbags, and was a right-wing guy, and like went like all like like survivalist end of the world or something like that. I, I'm not making this up. You can go look it up. Uh, You're you hanging know, out with Randy Quaid. Well, you know, well, I, I, you know, but he's cool. I actually really like Mike Moriarty. He was also in Troll, yeah. and I love Troll. So, you know. Yeah, so Mike Moriarty's got quite a resume. Yeah, I, I love his resume. I, I love him, him actually. Uh, so, Michael Moriarty, he, he starts to figure out the stuff. There's a family, and the kid starts to figure out something about the, changing his parents, and then there's a big corporate Conspiracy, we find out that the stuff is actually a living, breathing, ooey-gooey that eats you from the inside out. And while it's doing that, it turns you into a zombie and will control you from, like, invasion from the body snatchers. And it's, it's stupid, it's silly, it's satirical, really biting about commercialism. I mean, there's some nice nice jabs at commercialism in this movie. Uh, Larry Cohen's never been a wilting flower in any of his films. This is the guy who fired real gunfire off the Chrysler building to get his shot. Okay, so he, he, he will do anything 
to get his shot. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, it, it's kind of cool. Uh, so anyway, that and so I saw it as a double feature, and it works so good as a double pa- a pairing. So the street trash and the stuff. Very good movies. Oh, very fun good. movies. Very good. Fun movies. Fun movies. <laughs> fun ooey gooey movies. Like like all the sentient slime movies there are are just fine. I love them all. Except for that one parody one with the, the space, but that's another one. Well, I don't remember the name of it right now. <laughs> so, it's late, dude. We should leave. We've been on the. This was a long episode, but I really wanted to play the replay the um, Jennifer Aspinall um, yeah. because I thought it worked really we well. Hope you are, you hope, we hope everybody out in podcast land enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, I hope they did too. Uh, so I, w- I was thinking, and we can change this, but right now I have this idea, Tommy, and we can talk about to continue our ooey-gooey adventures, because uh, while I was researching for tonight's topic, I realized something, and I'm embarrassed about it. I have never seen Brian Yunuza's, Yun- Yun- uh, Yun- I can't still say his name tonight, uh, Society. Uh, so, uh, he, he, you know, and Society is one of those ultimate ooey-gooey movies. Supposedly, um, have you seen it? I've never. I don't think I've heard of it. Really, I, I. It's been on my shame list for a while now, and I was thinking because the next time we probably will be on the air will probably be like late June, early July, around right around Fourth of July and Blog Fest, continuing our weekly adventures and and reviewing a film that is, you know, keep you know. A film that neither one of us has seen. That sounds like that might be a really good episode. Yeah, I would agree. All right, so I think we're it could work. I think it could work. Pencil in tentative date for Society. Brian, you his, uh, he also produced Dolls with Charlie Band, which is like one of my favorite yep. films of all time. It's on my. I, I know the list. guy's name. <sighs> I do know the guy's name. That's the thing. I'm just mis- butchering it. And you know what's awful, too, is like my friend is friends with his, and he knew I was screening his film for the madness. And I'm like, he knows I'm screening his film for the madness. I was so excited just to know that he knew. I was, you know, I had people watching dolls for him. Uh, Brian Yuzna. Yeah, I can never say his name. But anyway, yeah, I can never also, say it either. Don't even ask me. He also produced Reanimator, of course. And, uh, you know, he is one of the ultimate ooey gooeys. And so I think it'll be awesome to uh, watch Society. So we'll do that. But yeah, 1989, by the way, is when Society came out. So, Tommy, I think it's time to go to bed. Yeah, I think what we're going to do now is um, leave you guys with a song. Yeah, we'll leave you with a song. Where, where can they find you? Well, they can find me all over the place. Uh, <laughs> I am uh, Tom Clark Author on Facebook. I'm at Token Bottom Score Tom on Twitter. Uh, you can check out all my other podcasts, uh, the Necrocasticon over at Project Entertainment Network. That Liz um, hangs out with us on. She is our special correspondent there. And you're officially in the credits now, Liz. Yes, thank you. I'm very flattered, and thank you again, Brian yes. Keene. And get better, sir. Yeah, Brian Keene, get better, man. Get better. Get better, brother. Um, also, um, 
you can check out the Summer of Zombie, hashtag Summer Zombie, uh, blog tour right out there right now, uh, promoting my uh, upcoming novel, novella, Good Boy, which is uh, basically, uh, yeah, um, Watership Down meets The Walking Dead. There you go. And you ain't got to worry about Rick Grimes leaving the show. There you go. Woof, woof, woof. (laughs) Um, Of course, Liz, you got all your other things that you got going on. Yeah, um, it, and San Diego is my next big thing. So for right now, I'm kind of chilling. You can find me at Elizabeth Catherine Gray on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, K Pearl EKG, at the Sexy Witches, which is my podcast on Black Talk on this thread as well. Uh, our next episode should be the 19th. Uh, and uh, so you can find me at the Sexy Witches also on Facebook. And of course, Tommy, the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness is moving along. It's um, planning time and holiday horror is our theme. Um, just so you know, uh, in the two hours we've done this show, the roughly 90 minutes since we last talked about it, um, Brian Keene's up to $20,000, $763 for his medical expenses. So uh, everybody out there that's been doing that, thank, thank you guys. You. Thank you. Thank you for helping out. Very a nice guy that you guys. Well deserves it. Well, well, get well, sir. And you too, Tommy. You feel better. My condolences once again. And, uh, yeah, well, thank you, know, you. My family thanks you. Yep. Much love to you. And once again, uh, find us. We'll play sometime um, probably in the end of this month. In July. The beginning of July. And uh, once again, Sexy Witches on the 19th. And find us on Necrocasticon on Mondays at 6 p.m. So. Much love and madness, and once again, bring us out with a song. Good night, sir. Kiss your prick, it's dripping down the stairs. Who is this? Kill him! Hey, I'm the new Don. Come on! Get that ring before it gets all
Repo Nerds is written and produced by Thomas R. Clark and Elizabeth Catherine Gray for Loud Sound Productions and Click and Clack Productions. Music provided by Dan Leedenfield and The Night Keep, used with permission.